I love that song. I love that song because it just uh, teaches us not only of the power and presence of God, um, but it's directly comes from the Word of God. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter number 10 and verse number 4, when speaking of the nation of Israel, as God brought them out of bondage in Egypt, He brought them out under the blood, brought them out of bondage to bring them into the land of blessing. But before they got to the land of blessing in Canaan, they had to go through the wilderness. And in the wilderness, there were times that they had no water to drink and they got thirsty. And if you remember, God caused water to come from the rock. Now listen to what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter number 10 and verse number 4. It said, They did all drink of the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. See, the rock in the wilderness provided refreshment, provided life, provided rejoicing when uh, the fresh water came from the rock. And so the Bible says that rock was a picture of Christ. It is under our rock, the Lord Jesus Christ, that we receive the spiritual drink we need to keep going. Can you say amen? To walk on through the world we're walking through. And so we need to get under the rock and experience uh, the power and presence of God with a right relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. What a blessing that truly is. Thank you so much, worship team. You do such a good job. And we're so thankful for the, the work you do in serving the Lord. Before we get into this service this morning, I just want to pray for you. And, uh, and I believe that God honors the prayers of His people. I believe when we pray, God releases His power upon our situation. That's what we need above everything else. If we don't have God's power, if we don't have God's presence, if we don't... Uh, have God doing the work that only God can do, then nothing we do here will be effective. So let's pray and ask God to have His way and will in this service. Lord, we love You. We again thank You for all that You've done. Thank You, Lord Jesus, for being that rock uh, from which the water of life flows. We're thankful, Lord, this morning that You are exactly what we need to help us make it through this world. Father, I'm thankful that You uh, are able by your mighty power to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think. But Lord, you want to do that according to the power that works in us, your word tells us. So Lord, we're asking this morning that you work on us, work in us, and work through us to accomplish your good will and purpose. I'm praying, Lord, that you move me out of the way and you use me today for your honor and for your glory. I'm praying, Lord Jesus, that there be anything in my life that would be a hindrance to this, uh, this message or to this service that... God, you would remove that, and Lord, we pray today that uh, through your power, you'd do your work. Move me out of the way, use me, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. I can do nothing, but I know through you all things are possible. Lord, I'm praying that you speak truth to the hearer, that, Lord, you impart truth, truth, Holy Spirit, as I speak truth. Lord, help us all to be what you want us to be and to receive what we need to receive from your word today. We're asking, Lord Jesus that you be honored and glorified in everything that happens here this morning. In Christ's name that we pray, amen. We live in an uncertain world. Would you agree with that this morning? Man, and maybe today, like never before, we can certainly say we live in an uncertain world. Because of this uncertain world, there's a reason why things are uncertain. We live in a world marred by sin. We live in a fallen creation. And as long as this is the case, we're going to live uh, in an imperfect world filled with imperfect people. If our world is marred by sin, it's full of sinners. And as long as that's the case, we're always going to face uncertain times. 
We're going to have tribulations and trials, problems and, uh, and troubles, tears and fears that fill our lives from time to time. And for the last two weeks, we've uh, been talking about a lot of that. See, if we're not careful, even as the people of God, uh, we'll start letting worry and fear cloud our mind and fill our heart. And we'll get to the place where worry and fear controls us. Well, how many of you know the Bible says we've not been given the spirit of fear? See, God didn't give you the spirit of fear. He didn't give me as a believer the spirit of fear. God does not expect us to be controlled by worry and fear. Now, because of the problems that we face in this uncertain, unperfect world, many times worry and fear comes our way. So what I want to do this morning, Lord willing, is we want to talk about um, how to view the problems we, we face with proper perspective. And perspective means everything. We've talked about how to turn worry into worship and how to turn fear into faith. According to God's word this morning, let's see how we can view problems with the right perspective. Turn with me, please, to Psalm 73. The writer of Psalm 73 shows us how to view problems with the proper perspective. And uh, I believe we all need to see this this morning, each and every one of us. Because we're all, again, like I said, going to face times of trouble, trial, tribulation, problems, fears, and tears in this life that we live. I remember something I heard one time about Matthew Henry. Many of you have probably read the commentary of the great Bible scholar Matthew Henry. But listen to this. Matthew Henry, on his way home from his office one night, was robbed at knife point. Listen to what he said. He said, let me be thankful first because I was never robbed before. Second, because although they took my purse, they did not take my life. Third, let me be thankful that although they took my all, it was not much. And fourth, because it was I who was robbed and not who robbed. I think that's great. See, he had the proper perspective about the problem that he faced. Perspective means everything. The writer of the 73rd Psalm, a man by the name of Asaph, shows us three things here that we need to see this morning. If we're going to get a right perspective on the problems each and every one of us face day to day. Now, I've heard it said that um, I, the way to make a good talk or a good speech is to start with an introduction, end with a conclusion, and make uh, the, the distance in the middle as short as possible. And that's probably true, but right here in Psalm 73, uh, Asaph, the writer, he starts with his conclusion, and there's a reason for it. See, if he don't start with his conclusion, what he finally came to, then you're going to think he's an apostate. You're going to think he's in a backslidden condition. You're going to think he's turned from the faith if he don't start with this conclusion. Let's read what he says there in verse 1. He says, truly, God is good to Israel. Now, let me ask you something, church. Do you really believe God is good this morning? Do you believe that God is good all the time and all the time God is good? Do you believe that God is always doing according to his purpose and plan what is righteous, true, holy, and just? God is good. You need to understand that. We need to understand that. As a matter of fact, we're going to do something this morning that we've done in the past. And we're going to start doing a lot more because I think in the day in which we live, we certainly need to be reminded of this. I'm going to say God is good and then collectively you're going to answer me all the time. And I'm going to say all the time and then collectively you're going to answer me God is good. Let's try it one time, all right? God is good. And all the time. God is good. And all the time. 
See, we've got to get that fixed in our minds and fixed in our hearts because there's one thing Satan certainly wants to do. He wants us to think negatively about who God is and what God is doing or not doing. And if he can get us to that place, I can promise you he can, he's got you right where he wants you. He's got me right where he wants me. If he can get me to the place where I think negatively about the work of God in my life, the presence of God in my life, when I begin seeing the problems that we face around us, if we're not careful, if we don't see those problems with right perspective, then it's going to cause us um, to, to be in a very, very bad place, a very dangerous place. That's where Asaph was. He said, I've come to the conclusion that God is good to Israel, even to such that are of a clean heart. Verse 2. He, he then goes from his conclusion and he makes a confession. A confession that we all need to see. Look what he says, verse 2. But as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. So what he's saying is, there came a time in my life when I viewed all the stuff going on around me that I almost slipped. I almost backslid. I almost turned away from the faith. I almost lost my faith. I began to wonder, is it really worth it to serve Jesus? I began to wonder, is it really worth it to do what God has called me to do? That's the place Asaph is in in Psalm 73. Now, you don't have to raise your hand, but I want to ask you something. Have you ever been in that place? Have you ever looked around at the circumstances of life and the things that you face day by day? Maybe in your family, maybe in your church, maybe at your workplace, maybe in your finances, maybe uh, through emotional trouble and trial, maybe in, in different areas that you face on an individual basis. Have you ever looked around and said, is it really worth it to keep serving Jesus? That's where he is. I think if we're all honest... We've probably been in that place to some degree. All of us have probably been there at some time in our life. And so he shows us three things here, man, we got to see. He tells us something that I love. He says, first of all, listen, God is good. Get that fixed. Psalm 37 is the sister psalm of Psalm 73. So this week, we're not going to look a whole lot at Psalm 37, but this week I want you to go back and look at it during your quiet time. I do want to read for, for you uh, two verses from Psalm 37, verses number 33 and, uh, and 34. Let's look over there just a moment. Excuse me, 23 and 24. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. I love this. He goes on to say, though, though he fall, he shall not utterly be cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. See, there comes times in our life when we've been looking at the problems and facing stuff that we can't fix ourselves, and we're saying, my goodness, Lord, where are you? What's going on? Is it really worth it to keep serving the Lord? Does it truly pay to serve Jesus? You can rest assured that God is good. He delights in your way. He will order your steps. God has a plan and purpose for your life. Keep on keeping on. See, Asaph in Psalm 73 did not come to this conclusion lightly. He didn't jump to it. He thought through it. He thought through all the things that was happening in his life and the things he saw happening around him. And he came to the conclusion that God is good. You see the conclusion, you see the confession that he makes in verse number two. Then let's look at our three main points. First of all, I want you to see there 
Look with me in verse 3. He, he begins to look out and he sees the prosperity of the wicked. Look how he puts it. Starting in verse 3, we'll read through verse number 10. For I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Now only a fool envies a fool, but Asaph said I was acting in a foolish manner. He admits it himself. He confesses it about himself. Verse 4, and there are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. Therefore pride compasseth them about as a chain. Violence covereth them as a garment. Their eyes stand out with fatness. They have more than the heart could wish. They are corrupt, speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens and their tongue walketh around the earth. Look at verse 10. He says, therefore his people uh, return hither and waters of a full cup are wrung out to them. What he's saying is they really taste life to the last drop. The cup, waters of a full cup are run, wrung out to them. He, he's really saying four things here about the prosperity of the wicked. He says, first of all, they are prosperous. I saw how they were prospering and I began to wonder why are they prospering and I'm not. Why do they have all they need and all they want and I'm struggling just to get by? He said, I struggled with seeing their prosperity and seeing my want. Then he says, I saw their peace. Look at verse 4. For there are no bands in their debt, but their strength is firm. He said, man, when I see them die, it's not like the wicked are calling out to God on their deathbed. Uh, for forgiveness, they seem to die in peace. They don't have, they're not plagued like other men, the verse 4 says. So what he's saying is they seem to be living peaceful lives. I've heard it said that a man who is not afraid of God or does not fear dying doesn't really know what living is all about. And that's certainly the truth. And that's what Asaph is saying. He said, look, I'm, I'm seeing these people and uh, they live wickedly. They're not following the Lord, but they're peaceful in their death and they're peaceful in their life. They're not plagued like other men. Are you seeing this? He's saying they're prosperous. They're prideful. He then says in verse number five, watch this now. They are not in trouble as other men, neither they plague like other men. Verse 6, therefore pride compasseth them about as a chain. Violence covereth them as a garment. I mean, these are the type of people who strut like, who can strut while sitting down in their wickedness. I mean, they're proud of what they do. They're proud of their unrighteous actions. They're proud that they're doing their own thing, going their own way, and rebelling against God. And I think what Asaph is saying is, Lord, why are they prospering, not following you, and I'm not prospering while I'm doing my best to follow you? You ever felt that way? He says they're prosperous, they're peaceful in death, they seem to be peaceful in living, they're prideful. Verse, uh, look at, down at verse number 7. He says that they have all the pleasure they could ever ask for. Their eyes stand out with fatness. They have more than their heart could wish. Do you see that? He said, Lord, they've got stuff in their, in their garage and they've got stuff in their closet and they've got stuff in their home and they've got this and they've got that. They've got everything they could ever want. And here I am trying to serve you and I'm trying to beat the check down to the bank so I won't be overdrawn. That's what he's talking about. Lord, does it really pay to serve you? Is it really worth it to follow you when I look around and seeing that everybody else who are living wickedly seem to be prospering? Are you seeing where he's coming from? He looks out and begins to see the prosperity of the wicked. But then something compounds his problem when he looks inward. 
Not only does he look out and see the prosperity of the wicked, but he begins to look inward and see the problem of the saint. Look what he says. Verse number 11. And they say, how doth God know? And is there not knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. Verily, watch what he says. I have cleansed my heart in vain. I have washed my hands in innocency. What's he saying? I'm walking around with a clean heart. I've confessed my sin to you. I'm not harboring sin in my life, Lord. And it seems as though the more I try to live godly, the worse it is for me and the better it is for the wicked. He said, I've cleansed my heart, verse number 13. But then he says in verse 14, for all the day long have I plagued and and I'm chastened every morning. Not only has he uh, got a clean heart, but he, he says, Lord, I've got a chastened life. What does it mean to be chastened? I want you to get a hold of something, child of God, this morning that I think will be a help to you. You need to understand and know that when God deals with the sinner, he deals on a credit basis. When God deals with the saint, he deals on a cash basis. I mean, it's due right now. When God deals with his children, the Bible says in Hebrews 12 and verse number 6 that God chastens the believer, the child of God, as a father chasteneth his son. Let's let's flip over there and read that. I want you to see that for yourself in your Bible. Hebrews chapter number 12, look down at verse number 6. Let's just start with verse 5. He says, And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh to you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. So so what uh, the writer of the book of Hebrews is telling us is that we should not despise the chastening of the Lord. We ought to be thankful for the chastening of the Lord. Why? Because the chastening shows us that we truly are God's child. Look at verse 6. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son he receiveth. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? There's going to be times in the life of a believer when God has to correct you for wicked actions in your own life that he will bring chastening unto you. Sometimes God just is wanting you to have a deeper walk with himself and, and, and to experience him more greatly. And so I believe then God allows chastening in those times. But chastening will happen in your life as a believer. That's because God loves you as a son. That's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. I remember when I was a little boy and uh, me and my brothers would be out in the yard playing and man, we always had a yard full of kids. All my cousins that lived around us would come to my house and we'd be over there playing And if we got in trouble in the yard doing something we weren't supposed to be doing, I can remember many times my mama spanking me. But let me tell you what she didn't do. She didn't spank the neighbor's kids. Let me tell you why. You better not do that. That's not her kids. Amen? See, God chastens those that he loves. God chastens those that are his children. That's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. Now, it can be tough to deal with, but God does it because he loves you. And that's what Asaph is saying. Lord, I'm enduring a life of chastening. It seems that every morning I'm being chastened. I look out and see the prosperity of the wicked. I look in and see the problems of the saint. And he's wondering. It seems to be upside down here. It seems to be backwards. Well, let me tell you something. Don't you think that God will not deal with with the wicked who have not trusted in him because that day is coming. 
If you are here today or you're listening to me over the internet and you've never yet trusted in Jesus, don't think that you've gotten away with not uh, trusting in Jesus, not living for the Lord. Because if you continue in your sin, the Bible says one day you will stand before God and God will pour his wrath out upon you. Many people think because they're making all the money they can make and they got all the stuff they can have, and they seem to be doing well in life that they don't need God. Let me say something to you folks. You're one heartbeat away from eternity. That's it. Your next breath is not promised to you. Jesus spoke of a man like that. Turn to Luke chapter number 12. Let me read to you something Jesus himself said that man blesses my soul. It's so true. Something we need to think about this morning when we look out at the prosperity of the wicked, and in at the problems of the saints. Look what it says. Luke chapter 12, verse number 16. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, because I have no more room where to bestow my fruits? And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. There, will be a, there I will bestow my goods and my fruits, and I will bestow my fruits, and my goods. Verse 19. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then those, then whose shall these things be which thou hast provided? So it, it is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. See, the man who has everything but doesn't have Jesus truly has nothing. Because all of the material possessions in this world that people can uh, hoard to themselves can be taken away just like that. You'll lose it the moment you take your last breath. See, I've never saw a hearse, or excuse me, an armored car following a hearse. There are no pockets in a shroud. We're not going to take any of our material wealth with us. And so Jesus said, those who are not rich toward God really ain't rich. The man who has it all and doesn't have Jesus truly has nothing. But the man who has Jesus, even though it looks like he has nothing, has it all. Why? Because the Bible says those who are in Christ have become heirs to God and joint heirs with Jesus. The Bible says, I now have eternal life with God in heaven. No matter what happens to me in this life. Good, bad, or indifferent, I know where my hope lies. I know where I'm going to spend my eternity. Not because of who I am, because of who Jesus is. Asaph was struggling, looking out and seeing the prosperity of the sinner. He was struggling, looking inward and seeing the problems of the saints. He, was having, he said, Lord, I've got a clean life. I've got a chastened life. He also had a confused mind. Look back with me in Psalm 73. Look down at verse number 14. For all the day long have I been plagued and chastened every morning. If I say I will speak thus, behold, I should offend against the generation of thy children. When I thought to know this, it was too painful for me. He said, these thoughts that are coming to my mind is keeping me in turmoil. He had a confused mind. Lord, it just don't seem fair. It just don't seem right. That people who are living wickedly, not following you, have it all. And those who try to live for you seem to be struggling each and every day. He looked out. He looked in. 
But finally, he did something we all got to do. He looked up. He looked out and saw the prosperity of the sinner. He looked in and saw the problems of the saint. But then he looked up. He looked up and saw the power in the sanctuary. Watch what he says. I love this. He says in verse number 17, Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then understood I therein. Surely thou didst set them in slippery places. Now what does it mean to be in a slippery place? You, you, you're, those who are in slippery places don't know how close they are to falling. And so he says, you set the wicked in a slippery place. Those who think they've got all the world has to offer but don't know the Lord, they don't know how close they are to their last breath. They don't know how close they are to that final heartbeat. They don't know how close they are to standing before God. He said, you set them in a slippery place. Look on down at verse uh, number 18. Thou, canest, y'all, thou castest them down into destruction. How are they brought into desolation? As in a moment, they are utterly consumed with terrors. As a dream when one waketh, so, O Lord, when thou awakest, thou shalt despise their image. He began getting a right perspective on really what was going on. These people who were living wickedly and seemed to have it all, he said deep down on the inside, they're in a slippery place. And they don't even realize it. They're brought to desolation in just a moment. Verse 21. This my heart was grieved and I was pricked in my reign. So foolish was I. He said, I acted like a fool. He's beginning to see now when he got into the sanctuary that, listen to me, folks, when you view problems with the right perspective, You began seeing, in the light of God's truth, you began seeing God's plan fulfilled by His power. But you've got to get a right perspective of the problem you're facing in the light of God's truth. That happens in the sanctuary. Now, why does it happen in the sanctuary? Well, the sanctuary is where you get in the presence of God. The sanctuary is where you get the truth of God. The sanctuary is where you get in the word of God that makes all the difference. And he said, when I finally got in the sanctuary, I looked up, I began to get the right perspective of the problems in my life, the things that were going on around me. He said, I was like a fool because I didn't get there sooner. How important is it that we get in the sanctuary? Now listen to me, folks. If it's important to Asaph in the Old Testament, it's certainly important for us in the New Testament church to get in the sanctuary and receive the edification from God's Word, the encouragement from believers, so that we might all grow in the Lord. When you get out of church, when you get out of the sanctuary, when you forsake the assembling of yourselves together, I can promise you, it's going to hurt your walk spiritually with the Lord. You get things in the sanctuary that God can only do in the sanctuary. Amen? So that's why the Bible tells us, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Asaph said, when I finally got back to the sanctuary and I looked up, things were put in right perspective in light of God's truth that revealed God's plan happening by His power. See how that makes all the difference? Watch this. He says then, he said, so foolish was I, I was ignorant. I was as a beast before thee in verse 23. 
or excuse me, verse 22. Verse 23 says, Nevertheless, I am continually with thee. Thou hast holden me by my right hand. When he got in the sanctuary as a child of God, as a believer, as a follower of the Lord, as a man of faith, he said, I realized, Lord, I'm always with you. You're always with me. You're holding me by the right hand. Now, folks, let me tell you something. The Lord called me to preach 20 years ago. And I told the Lord when he called me, Lord, as long as you'll give me a message, as long as you'll go with me, I'll go. And I can tell you something. I failed God many times, many times. But I can, I can testify to this fact. He's never failed me. He's always been faithful to what he's promised. He's loved me only like a father could. He's been with me. He's never left me. He's never forsook me. And I can promise you, he'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. As a child of God, the Bible says, he's with me and I'm with him. He lives in me. Christ is in me and I am in Christ. His presence is always with us. Asaph said, when I looked up, I began to see that. But then he says something else. Not only does he talk about his presence, he also talks about his power. Look at verse 23. Nevertheless, I am continually with thee. Thou hast holding me by my right hand. Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel, and afterward receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but thee? But there is none upon the earth that I desire beside thee. He says, Lord, I also understand, no matter what happens in this life, I've got a home in heaven. Now, folks, let me tell you something. That helps me overcome. Do you, do you know we're only here for a very small time? The average life expectancy is what, about 76 years now? I think something like that. When you look at 76 years, that may seem like a long time to you and I, but, but put up next to eternity, that's not even a drop in the bucket. I mean, we, we have got an eternity to spend with God. What happens here is only a very, very small, small part of the life we have in Christ. So whether it be good or whether it be bad, we have hope for eternal life with Jesus in his heaven. God not only gives us hope for the future, but he gives us power to overcome today. He says in verse number 26, My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. What he's saying is God gives me the strength to go on by his power. Even in the midst of problems, even in the midst of trials, tribulation, tears, and fears, God gives me strength to go on, to overcome, to walk through this life in a way that honors and glorifies Jesus. That's what we want, isn't it? That's what we should want. That's our plan. That's our purpose. That's His purpose for our lives as believers. I remember a few years ago, Me and my family went on a cruise to uh, Cozumel, Mexico. And we got down there, we went out to one of the national parks off the coast of Cozumel. And um, we were doing some snorkeling. 
And so we're out there swimming around, snorkeling in, the, in this place. Man, it was beautiful seeing all the stuff that we were seeing. But I found out real quick I wasn't much of a snorkeler. What you have to do if you're going to be good at snorkeling, you've got to keep that little tube above the water. If you don't, you're not going to make it long looking at the fish that you're looking at under the water. And so, man, I'm out there snorkeling around, paying attention to what I'm seeing on the bottom, and I went down a little bit too far and breathed in a whole mouthful of salt water and liked to, liked to bend the end of me right there. But what, what, I, what I realized is when I'm, I'm, I'm operating in a world that I'm foreign to, I've got to have a connection to the world I really live in. Amen? See, if, if I don't have that oxygen flowing through the tube, I'm never going to make it in that foreign world. How many of you understand and know? Listen to me, folks. This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The, heavens, the, the angels beckon me to heaven's open door. I don't feel at home in this world. Why? Because this world's not my home. And child of God, this world's not your home. The Bible says in Philippians chapter number 2 that we have a, 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 we're citizens of a heavenly country. So, so what we need to understand, if we're going to make it in this world foreign to us, this world that don't seem to make sense, there must be a connection to the world we're really made for. Just like I needed that connection with that tube from my mask, we need the power of the Holy Spirit day by day to help us walk through the world we live in, to help us face the problems, trials, tribulation, tears, and fears that we're going to go through in these last days. Asaph said, when I got in the sanctuary, when I began to look up, I saw my strength is in the Lord. Child of God, your strength is in the Lord. Don't spend your time looking out. Look up. Realize who God is and keep serving Him. View your problems, view your troubles that we all face with the proper perspective and the light of God's truth, you'll begin to see God's plan fulfilling by His power. Asaph said, I was like a fool because I almost slipped. I was envying the prosperity of the wicked. Oh, listen, folks. Those who have Jesus have it all. Keep serving the Lord. Hey, you keep praying, you keep studying, you keep serving, you keep being faithful, you keep looking to Jesus. Don't you quit, don't give up. Don't allow Satan to cause you to think negatively about who God is, what God is doing, and what you don't think God is doing. See, God has a right perspective of it all because he got a good vantage point. He's sitting high in the heavens. He's got a plan, he's got a purpose, he's still on his throne. And listen to me, folks, I call him Daddy. He's my Abba Father. If you're a child of God, if you're a believer, he's your father as well. Trust him. Keep serving him. I will pray for you. We'll have a time of invitation. If you need the Lord in any way today, this is your invitation to come. 
If you need to be saved today, I'm telling you, Jesus is still in the saving business. If you are saved, maybe you want to pray for lost loved ones. Maybe you want to come pray for the problems that you're facing. The Bible says that we ought to cast our care upon the Lord, for He cares for you. Isn't that good news? He cares for you today. His shoulders are bigger than yours. And when the problems of this life get too big for you to carry, cast them on the Lord. Cast them on the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. Lord, we thank you again for the truth of your word. We're asking, Lord, right now that you would do your work in this time of invitation. Have your way and have your will. Lord, we pray in Jesus' name that you change hearts and change lives by your power. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.